I don't know. So, <laughs> Father, we do ask that as we do open up our Bibles, which is the sword of the word, um, Lord, I pray that, first of all, that we would take this time, turn our ringers off our phones, and, Lord, that we would be free from distractions. So, Lord, I pray that um, we would be attentive, that we would be ones that we desire to hear from you. Lord, we only get a few moments here in your word. And, Lord, we need to take that seriously. I pray that we have a hunger this morning to receive your word, to be instructed, because there are eternal implications here. Jesus has the words, he said, of eternal life. And where are we going to go, as Peter would echo? Where are we going to go? You have the words of eternal life. And so we're here to receive the words of Jesus, to place it in our hearts, to not only look at the implication, but the application for us today. And you take your word, Lord, as our prayer is that you would plant it in our hearts, that, that, Lord, that we would have an eternal perspective, even as the scripture says, you put eternity in our hearts. And, Lord, that we would leave this place changed and more in love with you than when we walked in. So, Lord, I thank you that we can be here at this time. Teach us. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So as we find ourselves in chapter 25, keep in mind that this is all still part of what we've been looking at, beginning in chapter 24, a course called the Olivet Discourse. And as we enter into this parable, the parable of the talents, this is the third and final parable uh, that Jesus is giving in this discourse. Of course, in the previous chapter, after Jesus talks about the signs of the end and of his coming, uh, he's saying there's going to be false prophets that come on the scene. He emphasizes that. False teachers are going to even be working signs and wonders. They're going to deceive many. And he would go on to say, don't fall for them. Don't fall for the false Christ. There's going to be wars and rumors of war. There's going to be earthquakes and pestilence in various places. And as we've looked at, as he discussed about persecution in the tribulation period, the abomination of desolation he spoke of when the Antichrist goes into the rebuilt temple in the middle of that final seven-year period right prior to the second coming of Jesus Christ. And he will declare himself as God and the temple of God to be worshipped as God. And we know that Jesus said at that time there's going to be great tribulations such as the world has never seen or ever will see again. He would then speak about his return when he comes back literally, physically, in the second coming of Jesus Christ, that the Son of Man, his coming is going to be like lightning flashing from the east to the west. It's going to be seen by every eye, and the coming of the Son of Man will be in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And then he told a parable, the first parable. He said, learn this parable of the fig tree, that when the branch has already become tender and put forth, its leaves you know that summer is near and, and in Luke's gospel it is recorded that he said not only the fig tree but all the trees that when a tree begins to bud and begins to leaf out you know that summer is near even so the coming of the son of man and what is interesting after that he began to tell us about his imminent return 
he would repeat that and emphasize that as we finish chapter 24 and have moved into chapter 25. And what is interesting, again, that this is new to a lot of you as I've gotten feedback, you know, about the return of the Lord, the rapture of the church, the second coming of Jesus Christ. But when it comes to the rapture of the church, when he comes for his church, I believe that Jesus here emphasizing it's an imminent event. There's no prophecies that need to be fulfilled for the Lord to come for his church. The second coming of Jesus Christ, we will come back with him. So the rapture is he comes for the church. The second coming at the end of the tribulation period, we can read about that, that it follows all those events that takes place in Revelations chapter 6 through 19. He will come back literally physically, and then he will establish his kingdom, and we're going to come back with him. But Jesus said in verse 36 of chapter 24 that no one knows the day or the hour of the coming of the Son of Man. He would repeat it again in verse 42. Watch therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. In verse 44, therefore you also be ready for the Son of Man is coming in an hour that you do not expect. Verse 50 of the chapter, the master of the servant will come on a day when he is not looking for him. So he is emphasizing that his return, and I believe he's speaking of the rapture of the church, is going to be an imminent event that can happen at any time. And as we consider that, we are to be watching, we are to be waiting, we are to be prepared. That was the second parable that was told in chapter 25 last week as we opened the chapter and we began to look at that in the first 13 verses. He said, watch therefore, for you know neither the day or the hour in which the Son of Man is coming, as he concluded that parable. And in the parable of the wise and foolish virgins, he is emphasizing to us that we are to be prepared. So over and over again, as you read the whole of the New Testament, we're to be watching, we're to be wise, we're to be sober, we're to be vigilant, we're to be prepared. We are to be ones that are discerning of the days in which we are in. So we see the budding of the fig tree. We see the signs that are around us that I believe are pointing to the soon return of Jesus Christ. As we go into this third parable and final parable of the discourse, which will conclude at the end of the chapter, we're going to see that the emphasis is that we are to be faithful stewards. You see, we are to be faithful in the things that have been entrusted to us. So this is a present imperative. In other words, it's not a suggestion, but the commandment given to you and to me, be watching, be waiting, be discerning, be sober, be vigilant, and also be one that is the faithful servant that is looking for the master's return. To be faithful, the faithful servant, you keep doing what the Lord has asked you to do, what he's called you to do, the things that have been entrusted to you, we are to be the one that is faithful to that. And that's what was going to be emphasized here. But I also just want to say this, that as we talk about these things, the signs and, and the tribulation period and all the things that we have discussed over the last several weeks, it can be a bit overwhelming, uh, especially to those that this is new. Um, some have said, man, it's just I never learned this. There's so much that's there. Uh, and it can be concerning, particularly as we think about the future. Are things really going to get worse? But here's the thing for you and I as a Christian. 
these things aren't written to us so it, to scare us, but it is written to us to prepare us. It's not written to us so that our hearts are troubled, but that we can be comforted. And that is the heart of Scripture in giving us the prophecies that are yet ahead that surround and are, are relevant to the coming of the Lord. You and I as Christians have a wonderful glorious future that is ahead for us and we can rejoice in that even as jesus said when you begin to see these things come to pass look up and rejoice for your redemption draws near and it isn't that we can just quit living for the lord or quit serving the lord that is not the mindset of scripture when we talk about the return of the lord and there may be those who come along and say well you who are looking for the rapture of the church the return of the lord you just want to stick your head in the sand and you're weird and all that listen never let anyone take you away from looking for the lord and to the lord and living for the lord so we're told to be wise we're told to be waiting we're told to be watchful he said, don't be troubled in your heart to his disciples. You believe in God, believe also in me. And in my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. And I go and prepare a place for you, that where I am, you will be also. And I will come and receive you to myself. And as we have that promise, the blessed hope that is before us, that we can rejoice. Of course, we get concerned for our kids and grandkids and what is ahead but it is all leading to something, and that is a kingdom that's going to be established for all eternity, and we are a part of that kingdom. Amen? One of the things at times when we feel overwhelmed, uh, you know, at the things that are going on around us, I think we can learn a lesson from Daniel the prophet. In chapter 8 of the book of Daniel, when Daniel received the vision concerning the Antichrist and what the Antichrist was going to do in the tribulation period, it overwhelmed Daniel. The chapter ends by telling us that Daniel fainted and was sick for days. Those visions that he saw just was overwhelming to him. He had no strength. He fainted. He was sick for days. But we go on and we read that afterwards he arose and went about the king's business. He was told in chapter 10, Daniel, you are beloved of God and you fear not. Peace be to you. Be strong. Yes, be strong. And the Lord would say the same thing to us here in the day in which we are living in. The Lord is calling us to be strong and of good courage. The Lord desires for us to know that we have his peace and that we are to be about the king's business. We are to be serving and working and living for the Lord Jesus Christ and for the kingdom of God. And that's what this parable is going to emphasize as we begin to read in chapter 25 at verse 14, for the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. And to one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, and to each according to his own ability, and immediately he went on a journey. So in this parable, this man is traveling to a far country, so we know that travel in those days was slow and and he would be gone for a while, this man, this master that uh, would give his goods to his servants. And as he did, he gave the responsibility of caring for his goods, his property, his possessions to his servants. He calls his servants, verse 14, delivered his goods to them, mark that, keep that in mind. They were his goods. The man's good, the master's good, if you would. Remember that, because if you don't, 
then you're going to miss out. We will miss out on what the Lord would want us to understand. The man gave each one of his servants, he gave one of them five talents, another he gave two, and another one he gave one talent, according to his own ability, and he went on a journey. Now, what is a talent? He gave each according to their own ability. And we can read this and we think, well, I don't have much talent. You know, there is a difference between God-given talent and spiritual gifts. Somebody um, begins to grow and all of a sudden you notice they have a talent. They have a talent in art, right, in music, uh, creative writing. Uh, they have a talent in sports. They just, uh, in, in, in voice and singing, we can say, you have a God-given talent. And I believe it does come from the Lord. But spiritual gifts are different. We can have talents that, that we're born with, but also spiritual gifts. Keep in mind this, the difference is spiritual gifts are given to the Christian only. Non-Christians can have talent, but Christians, only Christians receive spiritual gifts as they are born again by the Spirit of God. And you read about those spiritual gifts, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. He gives to each one according to his will. And you read about it in Ephesians chapter 4 and Romans chapter 12, the spiritual gifting. So that is given to a born-again believer. And as we read this, we can think, well, I don't have much talent or I don't know what my spiritual gifts are. But here, as we consider this parable, a talent in Jesus' day was actually a measure of weight of money. And the value depended on whether it was gold or silver or copper, but it would amount to a, a large sum of money. So a talent that, that most scholars will tell you is believed to be worth at least 6,000 denarii. Uh, that's about 20 years' wages. This master here is, has unimaginable wealth. He gives one servant five talents, and that, uh, you know, is 100 years of wages. He leaves another servant two talents. That's 40 years of wages. Another one, one talent. He gives each one according to his own ability. Now, in Luke chapter 19, there's the parable of the minas. It's a different parable. And Jesus gave that parable when they are ascending up to Jerusalem for the Passover. It was told a few days before this parable here. And as they're going up, there's a large multitude with Jesus. They're in Jericho. They're going to make that ascent up to Jerusalem. And then Jesus would, uh, you know, enter into Jerusalem in the triumphal entry. But before they did that, the people are expecting Jesus to, to usher in the kingdom of God immediately. So he stops and he tells the parable of the mina. And it is similar to this parable that we are reading that he's given to his disciples on the Mount of Olives. It's not the same parable, but there are some similarities. And the emphasis of that parable, the parable of the mina, is very similar to what's being emphasized here. In Luke chapter 19, a nobleman gives each one of his servants, ten servants, he gives them ten minas to do business while he went away to receive a kingdom for himself. And in that parable, each servant received the same amount, and they were to invest the mina. Now, a mina also was a measure of money worth about 100 denarii. But the main emphasis, as we are seeing, is that the master, the nobleman, in, in both of these parables, was going away told his servants that he would be returning and that they would have to give an account of what was given to them by the master. 
Bible commentators suggest that talents may represent, you know, our opportunities, our abilities, our resources, the giftings that have been given to us. In the parable of the mina, each servant given a mina, an equal amount, some suggest that represents the gospel. Because there's only one gospel, isn't there? That Paul would write in Romans, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It's the power of God for salvation for whoever believes. There's only one gospel. Now, we hear a lot today in the church at large, those who emphasize a social gospel. It is particularly popular with those in progressive, you know, theology and progressive churches. And just come as you are and just love your neighbor. No repentance of sin. No cross. No believing in Jesus. Asking for forgiveness. You know, not coming to him and surrendering your life to him as Lord and Savior. Just live any way you want. You can believe God, whatever you want concerning the Lord and, and all these things. That's not the gospel, all right? It's the social gospel is what they say. The, the other thing is that there's those who will preach a prosperity gospel, that God wants you to be healthy and wealthy. Matter of fact, I talked to a young, uh, young man, 18 years old, that he said, that I want to know about this, this God. He heard the gospel as I, I was given the gospel. And he came to me and he said, I, I don't know anything about God. The only thing that's been told to me about God is that he wants me to live in a big mansion and have everything that I want. And I thought, you know, all he heard was a prosperity gospel, which is not the gospel. There is one gospel that has been entrusted to us. And we know that Paul writing to the church at Thessalonica in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, he says, but as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, even so we speak not as pleasing men, but God who tests our hearts. Every single one of us in this room that are watching, listening on the radio later, that is a believer has been entrusted with the gospel with opportunities to serve others. So here in this parable, there was a servant that received five talents. You have opportunities, giftings from God. There is the other one that received two and one that received only one talent. Now, because they received different amounts, it doesn't mean that if you receive one talent that you're less of a Christian than the one who received five. I know that there are those that because of health issues, maybe not able to be here, shut-ins, those who have to work on Sunday. There are those that, that for whatever reason, they, as they have one talent that's given to them, the opportunities. Maybe, Mom, as you're raising your children in the ways of the Lord, Dad says you're working hard for your family to provide for them. That honors the Lord. Maybe you're taking care of an elderly parent. That honors him. Remember that it was Jesus that said that you who give a cup to a child receives a reward. He would say that to the one that as you go into your prayer closet, that great will be your reward. All of us have opportunity to invest in the kingdom. So this parable is not telling us that the servant that received five talents is a better Christian. Listen, wherever you are in life, Wherever God has placed you, 
you can still invest in the kingdom in some way in praying and serving and witnessing. And witnessing is not only with the words that we speak, but the way we live our lives. You see, we believe the cross, but we also live the cross. And one thing that we can all agree with is that Jesus is coming back. And what we are told very clearly in the scriptures is that there will be a reckoning. Whether he comes for us in his return or when we breathe our last and we close our eyes, there will be that day, as Paul writes, that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And we will all stand before the Bema reward seat of Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 14, he said the same thing, that we are going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ, not to be judged for our sins. Jesus took that judgment upon the cross. But we're going to be judged what we have done for Christ, whether good or bad, judged by fire, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, whether it's wood, hay, and stubble or precious metals. But there's going to be a day of reckoning. So what has been entrusted to you by the good master, what has been entrusted to me, we are to be faithful with and faithful to him who has blessed us with spiritual wealth and blessings and opportunities. Parents, you've been blessed with your children. You've been given the privilege and the opportunity to be faithful to raise them in the ways of the Lord. For you dads to be the priest of your home. That as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. And in our home, the praises of God are going to be spoken. That is going to be a sanctuary. That what takes place in this home is going to be pleasing to you. Lord, help me to do that. For you who work in your own business, for you who are overseeing others, even being as you're working, to be a good steward. We're told to do that in the scriptures. To be pleasing unto the Lord. Do all things unto the Lord. How we treat others. For you who are taking care of your elderly parents, that's honorable before the Lord. As you work hard for your family, as you're desiring to just please Him in where you are placed and what you're doing with your finances, with your time, the opportunity to be able to encourage others in very practical ways, very simple ways, desiring to be a witness of the gospel. To say that, Lord, my life is not my own. And what would you have me to do? How can I invest in the kingdom and please you? Where you have me, have me. The spiritual giftings that you've given to me. So let's see how these servants manage their money. Verse 16, then he who had received the five talents went and traded with them and made another five talents. And likewise, he who had received two gained two more also. But he who had received one went and dug in the ground and hid his Lord's money. So the two servants, the first two, took the master's money and there was a return. They went and they traded, which tells us that they took heed to what they were to do. And that is that they were investing in what was given to them. And verse 18, the third servant, the servant who hid his Lord's money. It's his money. Again, that emphasis. And by the way, I pray that none of us, that we have the mindset of, Lord, you know, I give a check maybe once in a while or at the end of the month, and, and the rest of it, it all belongs to me. That's my money. Or, 
Lord, I'll go to church for an hour and 20 minutes on Sunday, but the rest of the week that belongs to me. May we never have that mindset. It all belongs to him. And what has been given to us, and, and Lord, every good gift comes from above. So the one who's traded and invested, there was a return. They knew that this was important to the master and would be ready to give an account knowing that the master would return. The third servant hid his Lord's money. Verse 19, as we read about that, the, the, what the Lord's response is, after a long time, the Lord of the servants came and settled accounts with them. So he who had received five talents came and brought five other talents, saying, Lord, you delivered to me five talents. Look, I've gained five more talents besides them. His Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. I'll make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. And he also, verse 22, who had received two talents, came and said, Lord, you delivered to me two talents. Look, I have gained two more talents beside them. His Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a few things. I'll make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. So this parable is telling us, first of all, that we are obviously to be good stewards of what has been entrusted to us. First Peter chapter 4, verse 10, for you note-takers. As one has received a gift, minister to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. We're to be good stewards of our resources, our finances, where God has placed us in every area of our lives. When it comes to, Jesus said, finances in Luke chapter 16. Therefore, if you've not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, that is money, who will commit to your trust the true riches? We're to be stewards, good stewards of the things God you know, has given to us. To me, it amazes me that God would entrust anything to me. Listen, a steward does not oversee anything of his own. We oversee the things of the master. And how we manage and invest the things that has been given to us in this life has very, very important implications relative to our future when he comes back. The master said, I'll make you ruler over many. In the parable of the minas, the nobleman said, you will rule over ten cities. You're going to rule over five cities. Now, in the book of Revelation, in chapters 4 and 5, you have this heavenly scene. You have the, the scene around the throne of God, the four living creatures, the 24 elders. And then this, this drama breaks out in chapter 5 of the book of Revelation where you know there's seven seals scroll, and, and there's the one that... Uh, like a lamb that was slain that took it out of the hands of the father and, and all of this. But there's this multitude of people that are before the throne. They begin to sing a song. It's a new song. I believe it's the song of the church. And you have redeemed us to God by your blood of every tribe, tongue, people, and nations as they're singing to the Lord, the lamb that looked like he had been slain. That's the song of a church out of every tribe, tongue, people, and nation, and have made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on the earth, which brings me to the second part of emphasized in the first two servants, that these were faithful servants. They were rewarded. You're going to have ten cities, five cities. You're going to be ruler over many. They were rewarded with more work. And I hope that we never have the mindset of, 
when we go to heaven, it's going to be boring. You know, kind of like Hollywood's mindset. They we're going to be sitting on a cloud. We got wings, you know, and a white robe. And we're going to be playing the harp. And we're all bored. And I wish I could go down and see my friends again. It's nothing like that. It's going to be so glorious. It's going to be so wonderful. And particularly as we've been going through the prophecies of the Old Testament, going through Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and the minor prophets, we know that he's going to come back and rule and reign. And we're going to come back and rule and reign with him. We shall reign on the earth with you. And we're going to be given responsibilities. And as I read this, not only do I desire to hear those words spoken to me by the Lord, well done, good and faithful servant. My prayer is those words would be speaking to you as you go home to be with the Lord. You know, I did a memorial service Friday. I'm going to do one tomorrow. And it's for two wonderful, wonderful saints that want home to be with the Lord. And one of the things I remind people of, the living hope that we have in Christ Jesus. I love that verse in Jude, that little epistle, that now he who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before his presence with exceeding joy. I love that verse. That is our future. To be absent from the bodies, to be present with the Lord. We'll all stand before the judgment seat of Christ, the Bema reward seat of Jesus Christ. But he who is able to keep you from stumbling will present you faultless before the Father with exceeding joy. Isn't that glorious? And when any of us that are believers breathe our last and close our eyes, we go home to be with the Lord. You hear the jokes about Peter and the pearly gates and the big book and all this. and That's nonsense. You're going to be in the presence of your Lord. This is real. And those eyes of love, those eyes of flame that's described to us in Revelation chapter 1, I imagine that when I see him, all the things that are unlike him are going to instantly burn up the wood, hay, and stubble. And the things that are of him, that pleased him, is going to shine forth. And to hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a few things. I'll make you ruler over many. Enter into the joy of your Lord. And I imagine the Lord putting his arm around you when you go home to be with the Lord and ushering you into the throne room of the Father and presenting you to the Father, introducing you to the Father, not that you need introducing you, but he's going to present you before the Father faultless, blameless because of the blood of Jesus Christ. And the Father and the Son are going to rejoice over you. That's the incredible grace of our Lord. And as I know that's our future as believers, that just touches my heart and it causes me to say, Lord, I want to live for you. I don't want to live for this world. I want to live for you. Now the third servant, let's look at that, verse 24, then he who had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I know knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. And I was afraid and went and hid your talent in the ground. Look, 
There you have what is yours. So the third servant began to make excuses and actually blamed the master, but in reality he was not faithful because his heart was not right towards the Lord. He saw the master as being hard, and you collect what you did not deposit. You reap where you did not sow. You're demanding an unfair. A.W. Tozer wrote this, that nothing twists and deforms the soul more than a low or unworthy concept of God. It is important that we have the right concept of God who is gracious and loving. In Exodus chapter 34, the Lord declared, The Lord, the Lord, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth. David would take that and he would write in Psalm 86, You're full of compassion and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in mercy and truth. Paul writes in Romans, It's the goodness of God that leads men to repentance. He sent his son to die for you. Because of his love for you. That we can be forgiven and, and have relationship with the Father. Reconciliation with the Father. To be a part of an eternal kingdom. The spiritual inheritance that is ours. And blessings that are ours. That are told to us in God's word. There are those who will come along as we minister that truth to them. How could the Lord send anyone to hell? How can God tell me that what I'm doing is sin? Or I'm living in sin? Why does God allow evil or this thing to happen? Why is Jesus the only way to heaven? I think a lot of us have heard that from those who we minister to who reject his love and provision. Let's read about it in verse 26, the consequences. But his Lord answered and said to him, You wicked and lazy servant, you knew and I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. So you ought to have deposited my money with the bankers, and at my coming I would have received back my own with interest. Therefore take the talent from him and give it to him who has ten talents. For to everyone who has, more will be given. And he will have abundance, but from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the unprofitable servant into outer darkness, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. He didn't want to manage the master's good. He, he didn't want to submit to the Lord. He proved himself unable to manage the master's good and was given nothing to manage in the future, and there was judgment. To those who say, I don't want the master to rule over me, they reject Jesus as their Lord and as their Savior. There will be judgment that will come to them. And it is a loving Lord that is telling us this this morning, that that has, which has been given to us, entrusted to us, and not only are we to be good stewards of it, investing in the kingdom, but to look forward to the things that he has for us in eternity. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 2, the Bible tells us that it is required of a steward to what? To be found faithful. We are so blessed because we have eternal life through Jesus Christ. But don't quit serving the Lord. I think one of the things that have concerned me a bit in the last particularly year and a half since this pandemic broke out is how all of us have been frustrated. It's, it's been challenging to gather, to do different things. But also what I have seen is that some Christians have just turned mean. I'm just being honest. 
if he could read some of the emails I get. What they write on social media. They get so pulled into all the different things out there that can pull us away from the Lord and get distracted with. I'm not saying that those issues aren't important in our lives. But to a point of just angry and mean and I'm going to dig my spiritual trench and I'm going to throw my spiritual grenades. I was talking to somebody this week and I, I can't remember, is that the store or somewhere? And I said, thanks for being here. Keep up the good work. And she, she just had tears in her eyes. She said, thank you. Nobody's ever nice anymore. No one ever says that. And I think, God forbid for us as Christians that we just bark at people and are mean and looking down and snarling and writing these things on social media. Just, I, I get tired of it. People need to know the truth. Talking to one of the funeral directors, he said, we've seen such an uptick in suicide. Had a lady I talked to this week, out of state, married 64 years. She said, Pastor Jeff, my husband wants to divorce me. He's given up on life. She was so brokenhearted. As I see around us, people need to see and hear and know the love of Jesus Christ. Please don't forget that. That we are rushing towards eternity. And the Lord desires for us as a church and for you individually to be used, to invest, to be a blessing, to love to give truth, to give the gospel. Yeah, we're going to be concerned about the things around us. We all got opinions about that thing, but don't let it distract you from the main thing. Be pleasing to the Lord and serve Him. Be faithful to Him. Be faithful to Him. Because we're going to stand before Him. And we're going to give an account of dads, of parents, what went on underneath our roof. What we taught our kids. How we talked to others. How we treated workers. Those of you who own businesses or supervisors. We're going to give an account of what we did with our time and listen, none of us do this perfectly. And I'm not saying that we can't enjoy doing different things, but I think you understand what is being said here. That you continue to be the faithful servant because there's going to be a day of reckoning. And we want to please Him. We want to be used of Him. And I think that would be all our hearts here today. I remember it was in the, earlier in the year, I told Sue, I said, you know, um, you know, every year, first of the year, I quit. I don't know if you guys know that. I quit. <laughs> I go to the Lord, do you want me to do this for another year? But this year, it was, 
it was just a little bit more heavy. And I remember sitting talking with Sue. I said, I'm turning 60. I've been in ministry for full-time ministry 30 years, pastor this church for 25 years. I said, what do you want to do as we move forward? I think she was a little taken back by that because I hadn't asked her that in 25 years. And she didn't hesitate. She said, I don't want to live for myself. I want to keep doing what God has called us to do. So we're going to keep fighting, keep running the race. I said, okay, that's what we're going to do. The Lord has us here for such a time as this. Let's be faithful to him. And I know it can be hard and it can be frustrating. And we all have different opportunities, but where he's placed you, what he's called you to do, just be faithful to it. Love others. Serve them. Serve your family. It breaks my heart what I hear goes on in homes different people what they're pulling up on their computers their kids see the language the drinking it breaks my heart it breaks my heart the conduct when it's not of the Lord and this is for me too okay but I pray that this week that we would take this and say, okay, Lord, you've entrusted me with whatever he's entrusted you with and placed you. I want to be faithful to you. Amen? Amen. I do ask for your prayers this week. I'm going to be leaving on Thursday to go to Peru. Um, travel isn't easy right now. They're going to keep me busy down there. Last year when I was teaching the book of Daniel on virtual um, the kids I call them kids they're in their 20s but they said Pastor Jeff we want you to come down we want you to come down teach us so I'm going down to teach the book of Isaiah I've mentioned that before the book of Isaiah in eight days and then in the evening I'm going to be teaching church planning um, lessons as those students there they're so hungry for the word. They got such life. And, and they're, they're going to go throughout Peru. And some of them are refugees from Venezuela to go into Venezuela and to plant churches there as well. So Corey, the pastor down there, a good friend of ours, um, he's a go-getter. Man, he just goes, go, just watching him, he tires me. But he said, I want you to teach a class, you know, five nights, five things, you know, that you learned in church planning. And I was kind of teasing him. I said, I can teach you five things not to do in church planning. <laughs> but you know, be committed to the word. Love your people. Serve them. Be a man or woman of prayer. Because it's not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Keep your hand to the plow. So I ask for your prayers. One thing, if you'll be praying for us as we go down, I'll take in Barbie with me and 
looking forward to it, and I'll be back in a couple of weeks. You're going to be well taken care of. Please pray for Pastor Corey. He messaged me last night. He says, I've been in a lot of pain the last couple of weeks, been to the doctor, and they found a mass on my liver. So I'm going to go see an oncologist on Tuesday. I said, do you want us still to come down? You know, he said, I need you, brother. And students do right now. So be in prayer. I'll keep everybody updated. Looking forward to going down and ministering to them. And you're going to, like I said, have great teaching to pastors and be well taken care of. But, you know, not all of us can go to the mission field, but all of us do have a mission field. Do you know that? As soon as you walk out these doors, in your home, at the workplace, so do it pleasing as unto the Lord in everything that you do. And he's going to help you. And to look forward to that day when we stand before him to hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. You didn't get all distracted. You didn't get blown away. You didn't go through life just all angry at the political situation. Makes me angry too. But it's all headed to something. Our hope is not a political party, folks. It's Jesus. Don't lose that perspective. Live for him. Invest what's been given to you. And let's do it together and encourage one another. Amen? Amen. Father, we thank you. We thank you for this time. And I, I just thank you for these words. And it's, it's just sobering. Lord, we live in this world. And the things around us can trouble us. We get angry, get upset. But Lord, we can trust you. So Lord, what has been entrusted to us, family, jobs, resources, time, gifting, the gospel, we want to be good stewards of it. We want to be good stewards for you because it all belongs to you. And I pray that you would help us in that. For husbands to love their wives as Christ loves the church. For parents to raise their children in the ways of the Lord. For us to treat others in a way that is pleasing to you. To give the kind words of hope because the world needs hope. To not only speak the gospel, but live it. And I pray that we would be light and truth. Father, I want to pray if there's anyone here that's watching or here in, in this place that you've never given your life to Jesus. That he is your salvation. There is none other. And he died for you because of his love for you. To make provision for forgiveness of sin. Reconciliation with the Father. <laughs> A living hope that comes through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And the invitation is for you to come. 
quit going the direction you're come you're going repent turn direction turn to Jesus and ask him for forgiveness and to sit upon the throne of your life as Lord and Savior you can come right now sincerely praying Jesus I come and I ask that you would forgive me that you would be my personal Lord and Savior I believe you rose from the grave you're alive and I thank you for this new beginning forgive me I confess that I'm a sinner and I, I turn to you now for you to be my hope my Lord and I want to know you and walk with you all the days of my life and thank you for bringing me into the kingdom of God for all of us here may we take the time this week to really reflect and to go to you about these things Lord I want to be a faithful and wise steward I want to be prepared. I want to be ready because we're all rushing towards eternity. And life is but a vapor. So Lord bless everyone here. I pray we would leave encouraged. And if there's anything in our lives that you're dealing with, that we would turn away from it. Put it under the blood of Jesus and put our hand to the plow and move forward. Press on to the goal, the upward prize of God in Christ Jesus and to live for you. So Lord, we thank you for today. Bless everyone here as we leave this place into our mission field. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray and all of God's people say, Amen. Amen. Would you please